0: Oh, Ruben told us you were going. <laughs> <laughs> as, long as, we, as long as we cover travel. <laughs> That's right. This episode is
1: sponsored by Component One, makers of Wijmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to wijmo.com and check them out. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of the JavaScript Java Show. This week on our panel, we have A.J. O'Neill.
2: Yo, 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 coming at you live from the islands of Orem, Utah. The islands, huh? Is yep.
1: that the traffic island? I grew yep. up there. <laughs> All right, we also have Tim Caswell. Hello. Um, we have a special guest, and that is Glenn
0: Block. Yo, yo, calling from the... Uh hot and humid uh, part of the world, otherwise known as China. So I'm in Shanghai. Oh,
1: wow. So you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
0: You have to be careful. The last time I did this, I went into a 20-minute monologue. Um, I work at Microsoft on the Azure SDK team, and our team is has a couple of responsibilities. Uh, one of the core ones is making sure that uh, server-side JavaScript, Node.js, works in Windows Azure. And we create uh, a set of tools to help you deploy Node apps to Azure. And we also um, create a Node NPM module, which will allow you to deploy to Azure from the Mac or from Linux and will allow you to access services that, that Azure offers from within uh, inside of a node uh, application, either running in Azure or outside of Azure. And uh, I've been at Microsoft for about seven years. I've done a bunch of different interesting things, a lot of open source related things. Um, the last project that I worked on before working on the node stuff was a project called uh, ASP.NET Web API, which is a new framework uh, that Microsoft built for doing like RESTful type services.
1: Cool. Well, I'm sure we have a bunch of questions for you about that, but we also had Jameson, Jam- Jameson Dance join the call. Welcome, Jameson.
3: I'm glad to be here. Sorry, I'm jumping in late.
1: Hey, no problem. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Um, so let's talk about Node.js on, on Azure. Is it Azure or Azure? I, I've heard it both ways.
0: Uh, Yeah, depends on who you ask. I, I It's probably Azure, but um, I'll, I mean, I think that's the most proper pronunciation, but the common colloquial is, uh, I guess, is, is Azure.
1: So if you have class, it's Azure. And if you're like us, it's Azure.
0: <laughs> yeah, something like that.
1: <laughs> awesome. So is is Node.js something that Microsoft is actually using in their stack somewhere?
0: We have a bunch of teams that are using Node. Um, and some of them, a lot of them I can't talk about. But what I can say is, um, we're not just using Node. We're not just supporting Node and allowing people to use it. More and more product teams at Microsoft are actually using Node. Um, a while ago, there was a guy who used to work on the Bing team. Who uh, He worked on an open source project called Anode that is out there on GitHub. And he was talking about how his team uses Node. And he wrote this pretty cool thing for uh, helping to deploy Node apps actually to Azure. Uh, they did a bunch of continuous integration stuff and other things. He used to be on the Bing team. Um, but there are more and more teams that are seriously looking at Node.
1: So, if they have a node or anode, do they have a cathode? <laughs> Sorry, I have to ask. Um, can we get a link for they that don't in think the it's show worse. notes? <laughs> yeah, especially. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yourself. It's, off of, it's, off, uh, it's off of GitHub. I can, I can send you the link. I'll give you the link to put in the notes.
1: That'd be awesome. So, um, so what exactly does it take to make? node.js run on azure is it is it just as simple as installing node.js on windows or is there more to it than that
0: um, well azure offers several deployment models um, so the traditional azure model has been a pure has play platform as a service play where you just deploy your code but where azure differs from a lot of other platforms um, with our cloud service model is it actually like will assemble a VM for you from scratch, not just starting from a you know just copying an image, but it actually has the ability to um, install components and a bunch of other stuff when it's spinning up a machine for you. And so that model, the way you deploy to Azure is you create a package. and that package, uh, we had tooling for creating that package. And so the package allows a set of startup tasks to run once the app is deployed. So what we did to get Node working in that model on Azure is uh, we created a set of tools that would essentially create a package for you that would install the necessary components to get Node up and running uh, once you deploy to Azure. Now, recently, we're just about to go out the door with an update to that that will download those components in the cloud so you don't have to actually package them up. Um, and so then we heard a lot of people say, well, that's really cool that you can get node running on Azure, but I really want, but it takes a while because of the way it assembles things, the way it builds up its VM and everything else. And the difference is with Azure, like when you publish, you get a dedicated VM that you can remotely manage. Um, And it's also fully load balanced. You could scale up to like 100 instances of that instance that's running. You can scale up, you can scale down. It's extremely powerful. But the feedback we heard from a lot of people was it takes a long time. You know, it took like 10 minutes the first time you published and about five minutes afterwards. And people were saying, hey, we want Git Deploy. And I don't need a whole VM. I don't need to pay for a whole VM. I just need a place to throw my code where it can execute. And this is the kind of thing that Heroku offers you or the kind of thing that Nojitsu offers offers you. So then we invested and we created a new model for Azure altogether that allows you to Git deploy applications to Azure. Uh, It's also a platform as a service model, but in this case, you're not getting a VM that you own and operate. You're sharing a slice of a VM and it uses Git deploy. So what we had to do there was to make sure that the environment was set up with node so that node could run in that environment when you deploy a node app. And we also added support for things like NPM so that if you uh, send us a package.json, we can run NPM in the cloud so you don't have to upload your packages. So it was a bunch of work that we had to do in order to get node working in Azure. And another big one was That when we run, like Azure has, again, these different models, but one of the models is with Node is where it's self-hosted, where you're basically just running Node.exe raw. But we have another, but our other model is where you're running hosted in our web server, IIS. So we had to do a significant amount of work to provide a bridge that would allow Node to be hosted within IIS, And what that basically means is, like, a request comes in, IIS gets that request, which is our web server, Internet Information Services. And then what it does is it uses named pipes to talk to a Node.exe process. So it's still spinning up Node. We don't fork Node or modify it in any way, um, but it's running within IIS, And one of the things that IIS brings to the table that's nice is it does a really good job of process management. So IIS can easily start up, you know, five versions of five instances of Node or eight instances of Node. If I'm on a multi-core machine, it will monitor those instances. If any of them lock up or they're using too much memory, it will kill them and it will recycle them. Um, So those are some of the benefits you get when you run in IIS. So scope of work from the hosting side of Node.
1: So have you have you had anyone um, give you any kind of comparison with say spinning up a VPS, installing Node.js on it, and then just doing a lot of the management yourself? I mean, is there really a comparison? Am I comparing oranges to apples, or
0: um, say that one more time?
1: So so how does Node in Azure stack up with against say Node on a Linux uh, system that you just? you know, a VPS that you rent in the cloud?
0: Sure. Um, well, Node itself, I mean, Microsoft invested deeply uh, to, make, uh, to make Node work well on Windows. So it performs very, very well. Um, in the early days, Node only worked through Sigwin on Windows, which wasn't a proper, really proper. So there's now... Uh, you know, with LibUV and things like that, we've, we've invested, Microsoft has invested significantly to make Node work and perform well on Windows. When you're hosted in Azure, one option you have is to, um, you know, self-host, as I mentioned, where you're just running on top of Node.exe. That's extremely fast. There is a little bit of a cost when you're running in IIS. But on the other hand, IIS can provide you a lot of benefit. Like it has built-in caching. It serves static files like exponentially faster than Node serves static files. So if you're building a site that's a hybrid of static resources like images and style sheets and other stuff and dynamic things, it actually in a lot of cases performs better than if you were just hosted on raw Node. Um, right. But in general, I would say it's comparable. Um, but like, if you host in an IIS and you're just doing like a web API and you're not doing any kind of static file serving, um, it's going to be slower. Um, now, how much that impacts you really depends, again, on the scale of your app, what kind of app you're building, etc. But this is why in Azure we have that ability to use that self-host model that I was telling you um, which also enables you to use WebSockets in Azure today as well, because IIS doesn't support WebSockets yet, though it will in the future. But people want to do real WebSockets, and you can do that in Azure by using Worker Role. Okay. Worker, worker so, role. Yeah. So roles are. So I described how we have uh, this cloud hosting model um, where we create this VM for you, and then I described the other model where you just get deployed. Okay. So in that create the VM for you, we have two kinds of um, what we call roles. You can think of a role as almost like a dyno in 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 uh, uh, in Heroku. So I can spin up. A worker role, and a worker role doesn't use IIS at all, doesn't use our web server. It's just raw node running on that box, and that's the thing that gets WebSockets working, and and it, it, it it has the highest level of throughput. Then we have web role, and web role is where you're using IIS. That enables you to do things like have IIS do static file serving, do caching, and a bunch of other stuff that it does really, really well, process management,
3: um, so we have both those models available.
1: Cool. Now, Jameson, were you trying to jump in? Did you have a question?
3: Yeah, it's kind of a change of subject. So do you sure. have any other things you want to say in this same vein? If not, I'll totally derail it. So Microsoft seems very interested in Node from, from just like a, a business standpoint. Um, and I, I don't recall, maybe it's cause I'm a youngin and don't remember, but, uh, It it seems unprecedented that they would invest this much in an open source project. Do you want to talk about why Microsoft has decided to put so much behind this?
0: Yes. Um, So one of the things I think is in order for our cloud to be successful, we want it to be open to everybody. We don't want to say to you that, hey, the only way you, you know, like Azure is only going to support .NET, for example. I mean, that's just silly because we're cutting out a potentially huge market. So I think the cloud is changing the way we think of things. Because suddenly it's like, hey, for the cloud to be successful, we need to welcome everybody. Um, In terms of nodes specifically, so there were some people from our community, which I know Tim knows, like Matt Podwisaki, who was very involved in the JavaScript community. He works on a pretty cool JavaScript framework called RxJS, uh, the reactive framework for JavaScript that Microsoft builds. But Matt has always been a friend of the Node community, uh, of the JavaScript community, and then by extension became a friend of the Node community. And, you know, he saw, like, we saw that people were using Node and were saying, hey, it sucks on Windows. Like, I don't want to have to use Cygwin. And we saw an opportunity there. And I think another thing that really helped, honestly, was the friendliness of the Node community that the Node community was not saying, we don't want Microsoft to get Node to work well on Windows. It was the other way around. It was completely welcoming. So I think the fact that the Node community was very welcoming and open to the idea of Microsoft helping out and Microsoft seeing that this is something that customers wanted and looking at the way we're evolving as a company and the cloud and how we're really realizing that to make the cloud successful, we need to be open to all these different options that were out there, and that's why another landmark thing you've seen, which was announced in June, is we now support Linux VMs on Azure. A lot of people were like, "What? Are you serious?" I can actually yeah, that's a- kind of what I said too. <laughs> <laughs> in vain, right? Companies like why? And there's a lot of hybrids. There's more and more enterprises, even that are win- you know companies that do a lot of Windows stuff that are also looking at Node. Maybe they have some Linux stuff running in their environment. Or maybe they have you know React running on Erlang, uh, you know running on a Linux box, and saying, "Well, I want to be able to use React." So I think it's, it, I think it really just makes a lot of sense. Um, of course, for me, I'm a guy who's who's been very passionate about open source for like the last five years. So I'm, you know, whatever whatever is the thing that got us to get there, I honestly don't care. I'm just happy uh, to see it happening, and it makes my job much easier because instead of me being a black sheep. I'm doing the things that the company wants us to do.
3: (laughs) Does this uh, conflict at all with with other Microsoft technologies like ASP.NET or other web technologies? I mean, is there concern that people will now use Node instead of using some Microsoft product? think it's conflicted.
0: Um, certainly from a messaging perspective, we try to be very clear that like, this is not the handwriting on the wall. We're not saying that .NET is going away. We've got a lot of investment that we're doing in the latest version of .NET, .NET 4.5, a lot of investment in ASP.NET. Um, what we are seeing is that, look, there are some companies that may even be diehard ASP.NET guys, but they may say there's certain things that Node does really well. And we're saying, hey, if you want to use it, you can use it. Uh, There's also been other people who just said, hey, I just fell in love with the Node model. I want to use it. Well, now those people have a story where they don't have to go. But in terms of the bread and butter, I think there's still a lot of people that love using the .NET framework. um, And we're not trying to tell those people you should stop what you're doing and just start developing on Node. Um, So no, I don't think it's been, I, I think we've been, you know, of course, careful on how we've done stuff. and. I think what we've been more concerned with actually is the message that it sends. Like, how do we do things in a way so that it looks like, you know, so that we're doing the right thing, but that we're also not causing people like in the enterprise to panic that, you know, tomorrow we're pulling the plug on the .NET framework, which is absolutely not happening.
1: So another thing that you dance kind of close to that I wanted to talk about for a minute is that... A lot of people kind of see Microsoft as this bastion of anti-open source sediment, or um, maybe, you know, just closed source and that sort of corporate mentality. Um, a business
2: company, not a technology company.
1: Right. Is, is that a misconception that people have? Um, or can, can you address that in one way or the other?
0: Yes. I think that there was a time when we were not as friendly to open source as we are now. But I think a lot of things have changed, as I've mentioned, and it's not just the cloud that's brought us there. I mean, my you know, VP Scott Guthrie has been a real driver to, to taking this company forward into saying, Hey, we need to embrace open source. I mean, we all know about jQuery, you know, Microsoft embracing jQuery, that was a huge thing. So I think that, you know, the last ten years really, I mean I've been in the company for seven years. And even when I came into the company, there were these, you know, a lot of things were starting to change slowly but surely. We had like the ASP.net Ajax, which was, you know, the first a big project that was accepting contributions and other stuff and there was a push to go in this direction but you know Scott certainly has helped to accelerate that being in the senior position that he's in but I think now there's big pockets of the company that are really looking at how can we embrace open source how can we make this work and a very recent example I'll give in terms of the work we're doing with node is the SQL server team you know they released node-sql server node-sql server which is an NPM module for allowing you to use SQL server from node and that's an open source module. So I think that's part of that shift in DNA where we're saying, Hey, you know, how do we, how do we get into this? How do we make this thing work? You know, I think for myself, really looking at open source for the last five or seven years, I think a challenge in general for companies is how do they operate as a business? How do they find a way to make it profitable? For example, to do open source, to make it so that it makes business sense. Right. And I think that Microsoft has constantly been exploring that, and I think we've gotten to a point now where we actually see how it can make business sense. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. <laughs> you know, I am just a small guy on the totem pole, though, so you know, I am just what I see from from the things that I've been involved with uh, over the years.
1: Yep. So, one other thing that uh, that came up while we were getting ready for the show was that Tim mentioned that uh, you can deploy to Azure through um, other means, maybe than just um, a standard Microsoft setup.
0: Sure. Uh, you mean like Cloud9? Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. So when I first joined the project, that was a project that I was personally very involved with, so I can talk about it. Um, when I first joined uh, the team, so I joined the Node effort when we had nothing on Azure. So it was kind of like, how do we get Node to Azure? What does that mean, et cetera? And so one of the reasons why I joined the effort in the first place is because I, the way I try to operate is get out there with communities, understand what people are doing, you know, write code myself. I, I'm a coder, so I can figure it out. Um, and then try to really engage the community and say, let's go do this thing together, right? Like, yeah, you're worried that Microsoft's going to screw it up? Great. So help us. Help show us what is the right way to do stuff. And one of the things we saw that was really apparent was like, hey, there's this really cool tool called Cloud9, um, and it works anywhere, and it works on the browser, and people can use it on the Mac and all this other stuff. And we had a bunch of issues at that time where we weren't ready to ship something that would allow you to ship to uh, to publish to Azure from the Mac or from Linux. It wasn't because we didn't want to do it. We just didn't have the infrastructure to do it. So with Cloud9, it became a possibility of saying, hey, if we work with Cloud9, and like people seem to really love Cloud9, we can work with them and partner with them to do some work on their side, because it's or it's on their server, to help to figure out how to get a compelling story for publishing to Azure from Cloud9. And uh, so early on, I went down to the Bay Area with another guy on my team, and I met with Matt Party, this awesome dude who, who is an evangelist for Cloud9. And we just brainstormed on the idea, like, what, what do you think about publishing to Azure, and they had no idea really what Azure was, but they, they knew that they knew it was something big, and there were customers that were asking for it, and we collaborated together, and it was really like a great open source effort, like, I even wrote code on that, so that was pretty cool, and I worked with, uh, with, uh, with Jan, one of the developers, uh, and Matt, and we just kind of did this thing as like a Skunk Works project and said, let's see if we can make this thing happen. And, you know, in about two months, we, about, about six, actually, I think it was only about four weeks of work, solid work, um, we got to a point where, you know, Scott Gu was able to stand up on stage at Node Summit and, and publish to Cloud9, and that's been a great thing. I mean, and it helped us to fill a tremendous gap because we had no way to publish to Azure Outside of Windows and Cloud Nine was really the the vehicle that allowed people to do that. But I think it was also good just from a uh, hey working with other established you know people in the community to make their tools work well for Azure and that got received really really well.
1: So is there a way to then to deploy um, applications from a Mac or Linux that isn't Cloud Nine?
0: Well, now there is. There wasn't at the time. Um, and that was because we didn't have that Git deploy model and for the old for the standard uh, cloud model that we have there was a bunch of tooling and other stuff that was necessary to create that package and it was just it was just not the kind of thing that was going to be trivial to do Um, we did something very special with cloud nine to get them in a place where they could do just what needed to get done but it wasn't something we was really we could deploy widely to other people so it worked out well for cloud nine but in june um, we announced, and my team created this, we published um, you know, an NPM module called Azure. We published that actually back in December, but in June we added a command line tool to that module. And that command line tool will allow you to create an Azure website from right from Bash, right from the command line. And it will set up a Git endpoint for you so that you can just push source uh, push publish to Git, and then it will deploy your app to Azure instantly in like 30 seconds. Um, so that is new. That wasn't there before. And that also, you know, it's written in Node, so it works anywhere that Node runs. Uh, that's been out there since June.
1: So what, what was the way of managing it before? I'm assuming that that's still there, whatever it is.
0: So we had Windows command line tools. Uh, which allow you to create that package that I was talking to you about. And we had Cloud9 that also is, has the ability to create that package uh, to publish. But we didn't have a Git deployment type model like we have now. And it's the Git deployment model that we now fully support on all platforms. We're also going to su- going to come with tools that will allow you on a Mac, even if you're not in Cloud9, to publish uh, to the cloud cloud services, that first model that I talked about. We're just not there yet, but we will be. All
1: right, cool. So I'm, I'm a little curious then. I'm going to switch tracks again. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you can talk about some of the things that Microsoft is doing with Node.js. I know that you said some of the teams you can't talk about what they're working on, but are there is there anything that you can talk about?
0: The, the Anode guys were using it, which was the Bing guys. Um, yeah, um, I'm in a little bit. I mean, I can talk about like the, you know, like my team, like I said, we wrote the NPM module, which allows you to access services and things. Um, I'm not really in a position where I can talk about the teams, but I can say that it is some very big product teams. I can say that. Okay. Uh, it's not just minor efforts. There is some serious product team efforts, but I'm just not in a position to talk about them. Um,
1: All right. So uh, another thing that I'm curious about is that um, so Node.js is based on V8, and V8 was written by guys over at Google. We, we, mm-hmm. talk, we talked to them a few months ago. Um, I'm, I'm curious if if you're so invested in Node.js, if you kind of throw money that way as well, or do you just let Google kind of take care of that and then you invest in the other pieces like the, the UV library
0: and things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first off, I think when we started this effort out, Um, You know, there were people who said, hey, what about Chakra? Chakra is our JavaScript engine. And I think at the time we did the right thing, which is to say, hey, you know what, this is not about embrace and extend. You know, we just want to use what's out there. We want to let people know that, hey, if I write write my Node app and it works this way over here, it's going to work exactly the same way over here. There's no difference. It's the exact same engine. Um, And that's what we're going to do. Plus, it was also, I think, a timing thing. Now, recently, I have heard some people, even at the recent uh, NodeConf, were interested in the idea of Microsoft getting involved and maybe looking at, you know, could we have a node, for example, that builds on top of Chakra? Because Chakra Chakra is our JavaScript engine that we use in IE. Um, it does some, some things really, really well, particularly like serialization. It can serialize stuff really, really fast and do some other things as well, possibly help with some of the domains issues, which is a big question for Node. Um, so nothing has been committed or anything, and, I, and I'm not on that team, but I do know that it was interesting to see some people coming from the Node community saying, hey, it would be nice if Microsoft looked at this space and maybe provided... Um, you know, an alternative where I don't have to run on V eight. Um, we have not made any decision there. So I would be interested to see what you guys think about that. Do you think that's something we should explore? And Tim, definitely interested in what your thoughts are there.
4: So I actually talked to the Microsoft guy at NodeConf about this. I think he was on the shocker, I think he was on the shocker team, I'm not sure. Is that Matt Kabasaki? No, not Matt. It was it was someone else, I think. Okay. I don't remember. Anyway, I mean, I think it'd be cool. As, as you guys know, one of my hobbies is porting Node to different engines. And, like, well, and, I, have, and I, have a, I have a Lua port of Node. I have a, I'm starting a SpiderMonkey port, Mozilla's engine. And someday down the road, I might do a JavaScript core port. And it'd be really cool to do it, do it on top of Chakra, but it's, it's all closed sourced and Windows only. So it's not really accessible. I mean, are, are there any plans to make Chakra more generic or is it going to be a Windows only thing? You mean, would it work cross-platform? Yeah, cross-platform or or even just open source where I can build it and run it on Windows.
0: So I am not in a position to say anything about that one because I'm not on that team. Um, But your desire back, which it sounds like you did already, uh, but I don't have any information about that. Um, But what I'm hearing you say is you think it would be something that would be interesting for Microsoft to invest in.
4: Well, I think... I think VM competition is a good thing. And there are some, as you mentioned, there are some technological things that Shocker's really good at that it would be great if that was in the mix in the competition as an, as an equal player.
0: And to do that, it would have to be 100% compatible, right? And have some benefits or not necessarily, just out of curiosity.
4: Well, I mean, 100% compatible, not necessarily. I mean, SpiderMonkey, for example, is JavaScript 185, whereas V8 is ECMAScript 5. I mean, they're not quite the same language. And then my my Lua port is an entirely different language altogether. But it's, it's the same APIs, it's the same style of code, and you just get different types of runtimes.
0: So what's the bar, though? Would all of the node types have to work the same, like all the... You know, as far as like i I I, I can like on in your Lua port, I haven't used it at all. Can I take any node module and just run it in that Lua in your Lua port?
4: No, that that one will run node modules, but the, the SpiderMonkey one eventually will. And okay. a Sharkle one should be able to as well, as long as you stick to ES5 or some common common spec that they all implement. Gotcha.
0: Okay, well that's really good feedback and I'll I'll definitely drive that back and make sure some of the
4: guys over there listen to the
0: podcast as well. Cool. I, I want to second that I think it would be very interesting to see
2: Node on different platforms. I think that would help the community to realize, well, one, a lot of modules would just break off the bat because they do have lots of V8 proprietary uh, extensions that they use. But I, I think it would help build the, the technical skill level of, of the JavaScript community to to recognize um, the engines that are that could be available for Node as well.
1: Yeah, I also love seeing, just like uh, Tim said, the competition between them because some of them do one thing well and some of them do another thing well. And so if you can get in and kind of see the the gears that turn when you make it do something that it really just excels at, then you start to see the, the innovation that one VM had start to show up in another VM and pretty soon you know, everybody starts benefiting and everybody starts innovating on new and more interesting stuff. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see where that would go if if uh, JavaScript or if Microsoft put Shocker into the into the mix, you know, and opened it up and said, hey, look, this is what we've got too.
0: Interesting. Yeah, it, it it's interesting what you're saying because that's kind of what you see in the cloud space as well, right? All these different cloud competitors are pushing each other and yep. one does one feature and then another person comes along and then this one comes and tries to outdo that one and yeah, competition is definitely a good thing. So I, I, I can definitely see uh, the value there. Um, and, and again, I think getting into the game in a very pure way and, and you know, just saying, hey, we're just going to make what people know out there work well, I think was the right move for us and, and, and create a lot of credibility for us. Um, but it's, it's great to see this coming from the community versus us pushing that out. And, and I'll definitely drive that feedback back. I mean, yeah.
1: we, I think we all understand that, you know, Microsoft is a business entity and that they're out there to, you know, maximize profits and make their shareholders happy and things like that and I don't think anyone really begr- begrudges them that, but at the same time, you know, it it's always interesting, you know, to go through the what ifs and say, "Hey, well, if if this were the case, then then, you know, how would any everyone benefit?" Yep.
4: So, and also from from Node's point of view, besides the the competition thing, it, it would give it more stability I mean Google has this new language dart and a whole lot of the people in the v8 team have moved to the Dart team what if one day they stop supporting v8 yep. and node depends entirely on v8 and then we're kind of like ah what do we do whereas if think, there were if there were multiple yes. engines that wouldn't happen
0: no I think I think that is a real valid concern um, I, I think that really is a valid concern and right now too um, you know I think that um, you know Google's really in a good place from a uh, you know, like they, they really are charting a, a lot of the direction as far as if there are things that need to get done in the V8 engine, they're the guys to do it. But if they don't do it, then, you know, it doesn't happen.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, and they're doing a lot of interesting and cool things with Chrome. And I, I mean, they're really kind of charting the course in a lot of different areas. And and I wonder a little bit too, and maybe you can address this. I I, I get the the idea that you're more of a, Node.js um, and Azure hosting person than an IE person, but do you feel like um, some of the things that we kind of laud Chrome for are things that My- or Microsoft and IE really do well that people just don't hear about because they're not in that community as well? Or
0: do you mean like plugins, for example? Like Chrome has all these different plugins. Like what, what in yeah. particular? Well,
1: well, you've got the plugins, um, which I believe most of which can be written in JavaScript. Um, but also just the tools. I mean, the tools in Chrome are really some of the nicest that I've seen. And granted, I'm on a Mac and I don't do a lot in IE. So, I mean, am I not hearing about the IE stuff just because I'm not don't have my ear to the ground in, in that area? Or you know, uh, is, you is know, Chrome really better at some of those things than, than IE is?
0: I mean, Chrome has a solid dev tool set. I know that um, you know IE9, for example, made major improvements. Um, so certainly, I would say Microsoft is listening. Um, and IE10, further improvements. Um, so you know, it's it's definitely gotten much better in terms of the dev experience that's provided for you, the dev tools for monitoring and other kinds of stuff. And, and um, but I'm definitely not the expert there either. But I do know that it's something that we're listening to what people say, and that we have made a lot of innovations and improvements. Um, but I don't have the, you know, I'm not. It's not my space, so I don't want to also say the wrong thing.
1: Right. I mean, I've used the Dev tools, and they work fine. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's just I, I, I'm not sure really what it is about the Chrome Dev tools that really appeal to me more. But yeah, I was just wondering if you had a take on that. So
0: version of IE were are using them with.
1: Uh, I don't even remember. I think I was doing it with IE8.
0: Nine is much better. That I can tell you. Nine is much better than eight. Um, they made a lot of improvements to the tooling in nine. Um, and I think they've made further improvements with 10, but, but, you know, it's not my team. So
1: yeah, I think, I think the deal was that I was doing something in JavaScript and I tested it in IE9 and it worked and I tested it in IE8 and it didn't. And so I had to figure out what the workaround was.
3: I see. Do you want to talk at all about, um, just the wider use of JavaScript at Microsoft as well? Is that something that you know enough to talk about? Um, yeah, I mean, stuff like Metro. And then I also know we talked to Steve. George. I forgot his last name. The, the knockout guy, though. Steven, Steven
0: Sanderson.
1: Sanderson.
3: We've got, I mean,
0: okay, so the ASP.NET team has been all over JavaScript. I mean, you know, both with adoption of jQuery as being like the developer tool set and shipping lots of JavaScript frameworks. I mean, JavaScript is taking off in a big way at Microsoft. I mentioned my coworker, Matt Podwasaki and the work he's done with uh, you know RxJS, well actually he didn't do RxJS, but there's a team uh, that has done RxJS, which is really pushing the bar on reactive programming in JavaScript. Uh, so declaratively wiring up a whole bunch of things, and it's all event driven. and It's a very nice model. Uh, and um, but yeah, I mean the Office Team, tons of teams. I mean the Azure portal, for example, is all HTML5 with JavaScript. Um, so, and, and not to mention, of course, the work that we're doing around Windows 8, um, where you now write full fledged applications in JavaScript that don't run in the browser. So, I would say there's definitely an explosion um, of JavaScript right now across all of the products, really. Uh, SharePoint, Office, everybody's getting on the JavaScript bandwagon. And you know I think one of the reasons is because it's just very easy to use. It's a very low barrier to entry. It's ubiquitously available everywhere. Um, so uh, definitely, there's a lot of energy there. And then we also have another framework that's popped up recently, which is kind of like uh, Socket iO plus now JS. For node, which is called SignalR. And SignalR is basically trying to allow you to do bidirectional communication uh, from the server to the browser. And it's using JavaScript and it supports long polling and it supports WebSockets. uh, And that is taking off like wildfire. And that's like a skunkworks. That's like an open source project that two guys on the ASP.NET team started on the side, but now it's really taken on a life of its own. Um, and We've got other things that we're doing around JavaScript, um, uh, other models that we're working on to higher level. We're, we're starting to get into more higher level application kind of building blocks, uh, not frameworks, but you know, just making it easy for me to say, hey, if I'm building a mobile client side app. Um, and you know, I need to access data and other kinds of things. How can I do that kind of thing with JavaScript? So we've been doing a lot of work. We had a module. We had a team that had a, a library called Upshot, for example, which was allowing you to build rich client-side apps uh, that are receiving data from the server and using JavaScript to do that. So I'd say, yeah, there is a literal and Hadoop, and even the Hadoop stuff that we're doing. Like there's there's a bunch of stuff like editors. Uh, that they're looking at, you know, JavaScript editors. So there's there's a big explosion of JavaScript going on right now in Microsoft.
1: Nice. My um, teams the,
0: is really what it means.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for uh, a link to Upshot.js.
0: Well, so a lot of the stuff that we're doing now is all open source too. Like a lot of the stuff my team is doing on Azure, you can find it all on GitHub, which is another thing that we've been embracing. So if you go to github.com slash windows azure, You'll see a ton of repos there, including Node SQL Server, including the, the module that I work on, um, and I believe Upshot was there. It may, it may it may not be there. I thought Upshot was there, um, but we're doing quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of work of you know taking our code, making it available, accepting contributions. Uh, I know this is not a JavaScript specific thing. It's just an open source thing, but I wanted to plug it.
1: Mm-hmm. So one other question I have is how much time do you spend writing JavaScript versus .NET or other languages?
0: <coughs> I write a lot of JavaScript code these days. Um, but a lot of that is because I'm on the team that focuses completely on Node. I still do write .NET. As a matter of fact, my, over here, uh, the, the, I'm doing a bunch of .NET stuff. The team that I'm helping is building some stuff on .NET, so I'm 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 actually doing a bunch of .NET the three months that I'm in China. But in general, I do a lot more JavaScript programming these days, both client and server. So and I would say, I would say probably eighty five percent or ninety percent of my coding is JavaScript nowadays.
1: Is that the case when when you talk about work that you've done to make Node.js work on Azure, or was most of that .NET?
0: No, so I well, um, so the the pieces that run on the server are a combination. There's some Node code, there's some C plus code, like the IIS Node Bridge, right. and some .NET code to get the. Uh, we had these PowerShell. PowerShell is kind of like our Bash equivalent. It's not really Bash, but it's a, a shell that Microsoft has. Um, we wrote these PowerShell commands. Those were written in .NET because you have to offer them in .NET. But we published a whole Node CLI, which was written in Node. Um, And, you know, that's really cool because you can use it anywhere. You can use it in Windows, you know, npm uh, install-g azure. um, And you can find that on GitHub at azure-sdk-4-node. Um, under the windows under the windows azure organization that is 100% written in node um, that cli tool so so we basically enabled a deployment experience to azure and the ability to create virtual machines and other stuff and we wrote that thing 100% in node and we used a lot of the modules that were already out there which was really cool like we used a lot of modules from node jitsu like winston uh, we used the async module, we used uh, Formidable, We used a bunch of different modules that were already out there, um, which is a really cool thing. And one of the things I love about package.json also is it makes it easier for companies to use open source because you know, we can just ship a package.json. We don't have to ship the modules to you. We can just ship a package.json and it's opt-in on you that you do that NPM install. To get those modules. So I think that's brilliant uh, that, that 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 mechanism exists. But yeah, we, we've done a lot of Node code.
1: That's awesome. It, it really excites me to see these bigger companies adopting JavaScript and Node.js in, in this way. And, uh, you know, between uh, Google and Microsoft and some of these others and the way that they invest in this stuff, it, it's just really heartening to see that um, you know, they're getting behind it and getting getting behind the cool technology that just makes this stuff run and work so well. Mm-hmm. So do you guys have any other questions before we jump into the picks? I I, 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 think- I had one more th- question come to mind here and that is testing. So if you want to test your node uh, code and let's say you decide you want to do it in the cloud, is there a good way to do that up in Azure? Do you just run it like any other code or is there more to it than that? I want to
0: run my unit tests. Yeah. Um, so you probably would have to, we don't have a good story there yet. Um, you could, you can hack your startup command like with our, with our, we, we, we have a YAML file and in that YAML file, you can say, this is what I want you to start for my app. By default, we'll look for like server.js or app.js. So you could do some things there to customize, to launch your tests or, you know, another hack you could do is have like a server.js that that basically um, would uh, you know execute test runner or whatever. Um, what we do have is with with our Windows Azure deployment, like you can you can deploy to like a staging environment, which is quite nice, and then you can do a, what's called a swap, where you swap production with staging, so you can publish to a staging environment, test things out, and then swap over. But what we don't have yet is like a great continuous integration type mechanism where like, you know, some people want, and I think this is what you're asking, where like I go to publish, it runs my unit tests for me and will let me know if anything failed, or maybe runs my unit tests before it even finishes the deployment. And if the unit tests fail, it doesn't even deploy. Is that the kind of thing you're asking for?
1: Um, Yeah, it sounds like you answered a lot of it. and, And that makes sense. So... You know, you 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 can customize the way that it runs, and and I think that may be enough.
0: By the way, is when you deploy to Azure using our Git deployment, there's actually this project called Kudu that uh, Kudu sits alongside your app. It's almost like a buddy app, and it handles running npm and doing a bunch of other things, and that is customizable. You can now you have to you'd have to know .net but one could actually create a customizable Kudu that would run those tests, and you could do that today if you had the fortitude. It's it's not super hard. Um, you can search out there. There's a blog post. I can send you a link on how to uh, on how to tweak Kudu. Yeah, that would be awesome.
3: I think that was a missed opportunity to name it Cthulhu or Cthulhu, Cthulhu. <laughs> or something.
1: did did you have a question Jameson it sounded like you were trying to jump in there a minute
3: ago no no I'm just glad I got one more stupid pun in
1: (laughs) all right well let's go ahead and jump into the picks Um, we did initiate Glenn so I don't need to explain to him what they are Um, I usually have the guests go last which means that I'm going to make Jameson go first
3: all right so my pick is just one thing it's an essay by a guy from a gaming website it's called um, the website's rock paper shotgun it's a great website but In it, he talks about, so his normal column is to recommend board games to people. Um, And he'll talk about like a new board game each week or something. And this one's a little bit different. He he just talks about how he has way too many freaking board games. He has like over 200 (laughs) and he's just, he's so buried in stuff that he doesn't enjoy it anymore. Um, so I guess this is kind of an anti-pick. I'm trying to do less stuff and have less stuff and have my attention less split over things because um, I don't get as much value out of the things that I do and have because I'm I'm doing and consuming too much, I guess. And so that's kind of what this essay is all about. Um, it's called Too Many Toys, I think. So I'll post a link in the show notes. I'm trying to find it right now. But it's really great. It's It says it's about board games, but really it's about um, how less is, is more sometimes, I guess. that's my only pick.
1: We're going to have to get Jameson an eBay account. (laughs) All right. AJ, what are your picks?
2: Uh, My first pick is DistCC because I've never used it before, but I got a couple of Raspberry Pis that I've been playing with, and uh, it's absolutely necessary to use. It's a distributed C and C++ compiler tool. Um, So... So that instead of taking an hour to compile something that on my Mac would take about you know, a minute, maybe, or 30 seconds, that it only takes 20 minutes because I can split it amongst different raspberry pies. So um, that's cool. Also, I just went to Chef's Table, which is a, a local restaurant. It's a fine dining experience. And I'd previously been to another one called The Tree Room. And they're both really interesting experiences. My roommate likes Chef's Table a lot more because it's much more classy, it's quieter, it's much brighter, um, whereas the tree room is more, it's kind of like walking into a cottage, a little bit dimmer, a little bit more ambient noise. Um, If you've never had a fine dining experience, I would highly recommend it just for the sake of it. The food is so good. Oh.
1: Chef's Absolute Table is delicious. the one over on the hill between Orem and Provo, right?
2: Yeah. And the Tree Room is uh, the Sundance Tree Room. Okay. But I, I personally like that one better, so I would, I would pick that one. I would go to that one again. I wouldn't go to Chef's Table again. But my roommate has the opposite experience. He would go to Chef's Table again, but he wouldn't go to um, the Tree Room again. They have different you tastes. Guys, <laughs> I
3: just went to Burger King. <laughs>
1: There you go. Royal Dining Experience at Burger King. All right, any other picks?
0: Uh, I have one. I actually have two. So there's a module I wanted to plug, which is by Nodejitsu, which is called Require Analyzer. Uh, It's a node module. And what Require Analyzer does is, before you're gonna deploy your app somewhere, um, it basically checks your package.json, which is your manifest for your modules and ensures that all of the dependencies that you need to be there are there. Um, So it's very useful because I've I've often found where I go to push something and maybe I didn't have an entry in the package.json or something like that, and then that app's just going to fail. So it's preventative in that it will, um, you know, at least if there's a module that's referenced but it's not in the package.json, it will just go add it for you. So that's actually pretty cool. Uh, They use it as part of their Jitsu deployment chain, but you can use it on your own. That does Um, sound handy. The other thing I wanted to plug is a book. Um, It's one of my favorite books. And so when you first uh, said, hey, here's a pick, I was like, all right, I got my book. So uh, there's a guy, there's an author by the name of Terry Brooks, and he wrote a series called Shannara, the Sword of Shannara, the Elfstones of Shannara. It's a fantasy book. It's kind of like a Lord of the Rings epic type thing, um, but it's a great series, the The first three especially, the first three books of the series. I read them when I was a kid, but I still love those books. They're amazingly rich kind of books, and when I used to read them, it was like I used to be transported to another world. That, would, that was how I felt when I read those books, like the richness mm-hmm. of the way it describes the world, and it's got magic and fighting and different races, and you know, quest to save the universe type thing, but uh, highly recommended if you like fantasy books.
1: Yeah, I remember that reading those when I was in junior high and high school, and I did uh, too. Yeah, really, really enjoyed those. He has a bunch of other ones too. He has uh,
0: Silver and
1: he has like Magic Kingdom for Sale books, there are a whole bunch and- of those, and then he has the, wo- the Word and the Void. Yep, um, and uh, those are also really good, so uh, yeah, just. I really like his stuff i i could i could Shinar- talk all I could talk all day about fantasy books
0: It's supposed to make it into a movie by the way apparently he sold you know the rights were bought to make the Shannara series into a movie, but they've been talking about it for like ten years or fifteen years. I don't know if it's ever gonna happen
1: oh wow yeah that that's amazing yeah I've only read um I've only read like the original seven books like the first trilogy and then he has uh, the scions of Shannara. Uh, and i haven't read any of the other ones after that the i guess there are a couple of other uh, other to, ones there's a prequel to the first king of shanara i haven't read those either
0: i read one of the volumes there it, it did start to get a little played out after a while like the character Anon, you know is like appearing in like every, and <laughs> it's like won't the guy die already um, yeah.
1: no because he goes into the druid's sleep and he lives forever
0: right it does have such a Lord of the Rings tinge to it, though. And I, I read that that's not an accident, that you know he actually did base a lot of what he was doing or was inspired by uh, Tolkien's work.
4: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. All right, Tim, what are your picks? All right, so I just got one today. I've been, I've been porting a lot of my Node modules to the browser for a Cloud9 project and just re-realized that modules and module management in the browser just really sucks. The node has spoiled me. <laughs> and Oh, it totally does. I mean, sure, there's things like RequireJS, but it's, no, I mean, there's like, 50, there's like 15 different ways to define a module in RequireJS, and they're all different, and they're all weird. And then, even if you write your modules using AMD or whatever, how do you get the code to the browser? Like in Node, you just have a package JSON, and the user npm installs, and it works. And so... Yesterday, I found this tool called Jam.js, which is basically an NPM repository for the browser. Interesting. And, and so you, like, Jam install jQuery, and it, like, adds it to this package JSON that you need jQuery at this version, and and then it has this customized JS that knows how to load jQuery, and I don't know. I mean, I, I played with it yesterday. I couldn't get it to work for my modules, but we need something.
0: Is there any good solution there? Like, I hear Require.js mentioned often, but
3: so... Browserify and require.js are the two big ones. I have a problem with Jam. It, it still doesn't let you just make a package.json type file. You have to like manually put in all your dependencies still. So you can't you, you can't just ship a file with your project and someone types one command and it installs all the dependencies. At least it didn't when I last looked at it.
2: I'm right. going to go ahead and plug myself. I've got one called Pack Manager, and it works in most cases. I've found a few bugs here and there, and I've fixed them as needed.
1: Huh. Well, well, maybe we'll have to get the Jam guy on, and then we can complain to him about what we wish it could do. Anyway, um, yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome. Honestly, I I've always wondered whether or not it was the right place to put everything under under npm, where in in a lot of cases you wind up pulling browser code out of npm.
3: So, Isaac has said he doesn't mind it as long as people follow as long as they have a package.json file and they they do it in JavaScript.
1: Yep. So anyway, it should be an interesting conversation. I'll see if I can. Line the follow Sorry. up. Tangent. Um, anyway, so my picks, I have a couple of picks. The first pick is um, there's a plugin for Chrome that I've been using. It's called Speed Dial 2. And uh, what it does is it replaces the screen that you bring up um, when you open a new tab. Um, it just gives, I don't even remember what it looks like anymore, but it replaces it with, um, you can actually have a tabbed um, interface. And then under each tab, you can put, um, basically buttons to different web pages that you use commonly. So, uh, you know, I've got a button for my Gmail and a button for my bank account and a button for, you know, all the other stuff that I'm into all the time. And, um, it's really, really handy. And so then I have, I have, um, they call them dials, but they're essentially just tabs. So I have another one for client stuff and I have another one for, um, like the development versions of the websites I'm working on for my clients. Um, I've got another one for the podcasts and things that I'm doing there. So just a lot of stuff going on. I really, really like it. So if you're using Chrome and you want something like that, then uh, um, by all means, go pick it up. Um, yeah, the the other thing that I've been using a lot lately is, uh, I, in fact, I just want to plug it. I haven't talked a lot about this, but it's something that I've used for a long time, and that is Google Apps. And so you can actually set up like Gmail and calendars and documents and stuff all under your own domain, which is really, really handy. So um I, I really really dig that. So I guess those will be my picks this week. And uh we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Now next week we will be talking to let me bring up the schedule here. We'll be talking to James Burke from RequireJS. Is that right? No, that's in two weeks. So next week we're talking to Michael Jackson about Strata or Strata.js so if you're familiar with Ruby and you've used Rack, or um, there's another one that in Perl that all of these were based on. But anyway, if you're if you're used to things like that, then then uh, we're going to be talking to Michael about his implementation of that. And I understand Tim has also written something similar to it, so he he can really pick it apart, I guess, which should be fun.
4: <laughs> yeah, Connect is also based on Rack.
1: Yep. So. Um, is there anything else that we need to bring up? Anything else you want guys want to plug before we wrap up the show?
4: I just want to plug
3: my papers in CS group again. We're still going. Um, we just pick a paper once a month and read it. We try and do one that is understandable to a general audience without tons of background in the specific subjects. Lots of times they're old, but there's still some really cool stuff in there. Um, so right. I'll post a link to the Google group and you guys should check it out if you're interested in some more academic stuff.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, just put the link in the chat and we'll get it into the show notes. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Um, thanks for joining us, Glenn. Really appreciate you coming on the show.
0: Sure. It was great to talk to you guys.
1: Um, have fun in China and uh, we will catch you all next week.
0: Oh, I forgot one plug. We are putting on a JavaScript event in China. We're trying to put together a node, wow. a node slash uh, client-side JavaScript event for China in Shanghai, and we're working with people here and working with people in the U.S., and hopefully Tim is actually going to be one of the speakers at that event. And this is just trying to like bridge the divide, and there's actually quite an excitement here building around Node, believe it or not, in the in Shanghai and in Beijing. So we're going to try to help to accelerate that. And we, um, I'm working with, we're working with a bunch of different people. This is not like a Microsoft event, working with AppFog, Red Hat, a bunch of different companies, people like Michael Rogers, Chris Williams, uh, to put on an event here. And it should be really exciting. Um, So this is the first I've talked about it, but uh, you'll be hearing about it soon.
1: Awesome. That sounds really cool. And and I'm always excited to hear about uh, people uh, putting on events like this
0: it's it's harder to do in china put it that (laughs) way a lot harder to do in china than than i thought and i have certainly had a few why me moments over the last couple of weeks but it looks like it's gonna happen
1: well cool um yeah keep us posted and if you have a link then just uh you know let us know and we'll put it up in the show notes so people can go and check it out and sign up to go if they want to
0: awesome Awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys very, very much for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thank you for coming. Okay. All right. See you guys. All right. See you later. Adios.